Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your ostensibly but not actually weekly podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. Uh, this show is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts, and here's a jingle from another podcast. Doop, 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 doop. I'm going to cut in a thing. Rebel Steps is a podcast about taking action. Season one offered insights into how individuals can join movements. Season two focuses on the ways people can work together to build these movements. Organizing in groups presents many challenges. How do you care for each other and protect each other in the midst of political struggle? How do you lift up the voices of everyone in your group? How do you work through the inevitable disagreements? All of these questions have complicated answers. As I explore these questions, you'll hear voices and stories from my community in New York City, spotlighting a range of organizers from the Metropolitan Anarchist Coordinating Council, Outlive Them, Pop Gem, Democratic Socialists of America Libertarian Socialist Caucus, and more. Just like the first season, I return to Paulo Freire's quote, what can we do today so that we can do tomorrow what we cannot do today? but this time with the realization that building our capacity will necessarily happen alongside others. Find Rebel Steps on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts, and check us out on Twitter or Patreon. This week, I'm joined once again by Paul, who has worked as a medic in combat situations, and we're going to be talking about ballistic protection. We're going to be talking about how demonstrators can respond to the new threats of live ammunition that are increasingly present at demonstrations. And so, Paul, would you like to introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and any sort of affiliations or experience or that you would like to express? Yeah, hi, my name's Paul. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his, um, <clears throat> although they, them works fine as well. Uh, as far as affiliations, currently, uh, at the moment, I can't say that I have uh, any other, uh, other than uh, feeling affinity with movements for liberation uh, worldwide, uh, especially with the recent movements for black liberation uh, in the so-called United States. Um, as far as experience uh, and, yeah, somehow anything along those lines. Um, I've, you know, worked in a medical capacity in protests before in my life. Uh, but like most of my more like direct experience in that regard comes uh, from working as a medic uh, in Rojava or, uh, you know, the autonomous area in northern eastern Syria. And yeah, hoping to like, make some of that like experience translate into the present context for people who are looking to keep themselves safer at uh, any kind of protests or demonstrations or otherwise potentially dangerous events. Okay. Yeah. And for anyone who hasn't, I, I highly recommend looking back a couple episodes to Paul talking at greater length about his experience in Rojava. Um, so what I've been doing recently is I've, I've been doing this research project that um, some of you listeners have heard me talk about where I've been doing a deep dive research into basically the threats that demonstrators face, the the weapons, especially the less lethal weapons that are being used by police and increasingly by fascists and also the gear that people can use to protect themselves. And what I 
have thought I was going to be doing with the podcast as relates to this is I would be basically explaining what I've been learning to someone. But I thought it'd be kind of interesting to do this sort of in-between thing right now where I'm going to be explaining to someone who knows better than I do, or at least has like more direct experience than I do about some of these things. And so it's, it'll probably be a bit of a back and forth conversation rather than directly an interview or me rambling on endlessly. When I first started this research project, I was primarily focusing on basically sports armor. And I was, I was looking at how we protect ourselves from baton rounds and tear gas canisters and batons themselves and, you know, beanbag rounds and all those things. But while I've been working on this project, increasingly live ammunition has been used towards, uh, you know, leftists and radicals and anarchists and things like that in the streets. So all of a sudden, I've been shifting a lot of my research over to different ways of protecting ourselves against live ammunition. And yeah, I'm curious, do you have any thoughts about like sort of threat modeling, how things have changed, uh, how people might protect themselves, not necessarily in a, a, a community defense point of view, but more of like a demonstration point of view? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. One I've, I think, been maybe kind of troubling since, uh, you know, the events of the Unite the Right rally in 2017, where I mm -hmm. think it's this like shifting dynamic um, where we're starting to see like some folks, like particularly on the right, like using tactics that are like more akin to like leaderless resistance or, you know, guerrilla warfare tactics. Um, and the left is like primarily until like quite recently seeming to like stay pretty uh, within the bounds of like things that are, you know, more considered in protest tactics. And so when you have like those th two, th two things kind of butting up against each other in the real world, mm -hmm. I think they both kind of become like incompatible. Like, yeah, without going on too much of a rant, you know, I think there were a lot of conversations about, you know, how could we stop, you know, car attacks? And at least the answer I kind of came to is, well, the way you stop car attacks is just by not marching in the street where there might also be cars because ultimately, you know, other ideas of like types of protection or defense against those cars, like I think, butt up against like more like real world, uh, tangible things. Um, but yeah, so I think like threat modeling is like really interesting. And I think a lot of people are at least, you know, that I've spoken to across the country are just coming to the idea of you know, having demonstrations in like different ways or like pursuing action in different ways other than like mass rallies and actions, mm -hmm. uh, potentially like just kind of away from, you know, would be like far right attackers. And so I think that's interesting. But I think what we need to do is start preparing ourselves for like, you know, the new threats or like newer threats that we're facing, like particularly like, um, you know, lethal rounds and yeah, like bullets, <laughs> precisely, um, while also like still maintaining like a desire to kind of exist within the bounds of um, like something that would look like a demonstration. Right. So I think that like kind of <laughs> it, it's, it starts to get kind of messy. And so I think with like threat modeling, we're thinking like, what's the likelihood if I go out tonight that I will like be shot at, for instance, and like, how does that inform my my choice? Because we don't like always want to be running out to 
you know, if you go to like a teacher's strike or something like that in response to teachers having to work with COVID-19, mm-hmm. maybe it's like a weird look to go out in body armor and a ballistic helmet. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah. So I think just being realistic about like what you're going to is, is smart. Is that kind of what you're speaking to? Yeah. And actually it gets at this like larger question that I, I wasn't directly thinking about addressing, but I, I feel like it kind of needs to be addressed. And, and that is, I, I really like the way you phrased it, that these two different models are incompatible. And it's actually kind of, I mean, the thing that I find fascinating about it is that I'm really excited about not, about, hmm. The Art of War talks about how you want to fight where you are strong and the enemy is weak and not fight where the enemy is strong and you are weak as like a general rule. And you could apply that in a direct sense about like, being in the street where cars are and cars are strong and bodies are weak, right? And I think that that's true and worth thinking about. But it's also a thing about like, we do well, like the the left in general does well with mass action and it does well with like, not like peaceful protest, but like rowdy and diverse protest and demonstrations and it is not historically our strength, or at least like, you know, in the United States and our movement to engage in uh, gunfights, you know, and, and I think my, my like personal read is that at least in Portland, for example, where I'm not, and this is total armchair analysis, is that when the fascists show up and they're like, yeah, we have a shield wall too, and we have sports armor too, and, <laughs> you know, and we have sticks too we beat the shit out of them um, even outnumbered. And I'm not trying to downplay the violence uh, that they caused in Portland and that they've caused so many times in so many places. Um, but I think that they escalate to these different tactics, including car attacks and gun violence in large part because they can't beat us at our game. And I think that they're trying to drag us into their game. And I don't have an easy answer because I, I also don't think that that means that like, we shouldn't be prepared to defend ourselves. I, I absolutely believe in self-defense, but I don't know. Yeah. It's really interesting. You brought up the example of Portland because I was watching um, the video of, yeah, I'm sure we're probably talking about like some of the, the recent demos, but I'm thinking of the one where uh, what's his name? Alan Swinney mm-hmm. uh, pulled like a, a very large revolver Yeah, and was kind of waving it around. And it's it's really interesting to like see where yeah like you said where people are strong and people are are weak, um, you know I think about like how many, you know maybe perhaps more like middle class uh, like mostly white leftists like haven't been around like a lot of gunfire for mm-hmm. instance like, and how like people can respond in stress levels to just having a bunch of firearms discharged around them like what like a disoriented experience that can be. Um, and how it can really shake people up. And that's, yeah, valid and makes sense because that's not a lot of people's like lived experiences. Whereas like it was clear that for these far right demo people, right? Like they were at this demo that we're talking about that they were not accustomed to, you know, having like fireworks thrown at them mm-hmm. and, and having like <laughs> things that kind of simulated flashbangs go off. Cause it was really interesting. Like, yeah, their shield wall looked like very scary and very well organized, but it completely lost um, any semblance of organization with like the slightest amount of pressure. Whereas like they were 
kind of engaging symmetrically and like throwing fireworks and that kind of thing at, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the anti-fascist shield wall. Right. And these folks are really generally not budging because, (laughs) you know, they've got, especially in Portland, Mm -hmm. this super built up tolerance to, yeah, like street fighting with the police essentially where they're, you know, not going to budge at the first kind of boom that goes off. And yeah. So I guess it's just like interesting and, I think the far right will, you know, kind of keep trying to test themselves in this arena until they're able to win. And I think that's mm-hmm. maybe another thing to talk about. But yeah, I broadly think they kind of both suck at it and are not able in this moment to like mobilize the kind of numbers they need to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it all of that shit can change. And I guess like one of the things that I want to do with this podcast is I, I try not to, and I don't think either of us are doing this. I try not to tell people what to do or like, you know, I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't be interested in the kind of resistance that they're interested in, you know? And so, and instead just offer people as much as possible, the tools to perform the kind of resistance that they want to. And so from that point of view, I'm mostly interested in talking about body armor for demonstrators rather than like specifically community defense formations although yeah. I, I believe that these are related and we should probably touch on what would maybe be applicable in a community defense situation and to, to talk about like the would you be able to explain what community defense means uh, just to explain how, what it is and how it's a little bit different than say for example specifically mass action demonstrations yeah i mean i i think like community defense is something that has gotten a lot of like mileage as a term especially in the last three years um, and so I want to make a distinction between community, community defense and armed community defense, like okay. the latter being, being like a component of larger community defense and feeling like community, community defense, like has to be seen within a broad framework as including jail support and bail funds and, uh, um, you know, somehow, uh, like community accountability around gender-based violence, um, like all, all these things, like mm-hmm. I think encompass what community defense means uh, within our framework. But I think when we talk about armed community defense, it is the ability to like defend physically if necessary, you know, our movements for collective liberation. And so sometimes like in the streets that can take the form of like an organized shield wall or, you know, even simply like the impulse that people have to, put on gloves and, you know, maybe throw back, you know, a tear gas canister. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, like armed community defense is, you know, this idea of being able to, you know, respond to like armed provocations with, you know, armed defense. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea that if, 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 if fascists or racists bring guns, you know, specifically in this case, we're talking about racists without badges. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, like if they bring guns, we should also bring guns. And like, there's a lot of ways that that has manifested itself, whether that's, you know, through like open carry tactics, which I generally will argue against, um, or like more quiet, um, Mm -hmm. you know, formations, you know, concealed carrying at demonstrations and uh, being prepared in other ways. Yeah. So, Sorry, long, long explanation. No, no, no. It's it's worth making that distinction. I think I was using it sort of euphemistically for the more militaristic presenting, you know, armed community defense. Uh, right, right. Which I, I'm not, I'm just like not trying to slander. I'm just trying to point out that that's not specifically what I'm 
personally focusing totally. on. Um, totally. So my overall takeaway from a bunch of research and from talking to a bunch of people is that when you're talking about body armor, you're talking about functionally two different ideas. You're talking about either soft armor or hard armor. You're talking about either bulletproof vests or you're talking about plate carriers. And mm -hmm. in terms of soft vests, which are basically designed to stop handgun rounds, and they're substantially lighter, more comfortable, concealable. They're not cheaper. Um, and in that case, if that is your threat model or you're interested in concealing or not interested in carrying around a lot of weight, you are probably looking for what's called a 3A vest, which is basically the, the burliest soft vest outside of this some newfangled rifle stopping soft vests that cost like $2,000 that are brand new on the market that are kind of outside the scope of this. Um, as compared to, if you're interested in stopping rifle rounds, you're interested in getting a plate carrier. And a plate carrier is, it's a vest, uh, and it's a vest that has sleeves in which you insert hard plates. And traditionally these were steel, but more and more they're made up of uh, polyethylene or ceramic or ceramic mixed with polyethylene. Mm -hmm. Uh, and these, you would probably be looking for the ratings for these, and we'll, I guess we can talk more about the specific ratings, is usually three or this imaginary one called three plus or <laughs> this or four. And ironically, yeah. three plus is probably what you're looking for, as far as I can tell, in terms of a combination of like weight. Yeah, basically like it's not as heavy and sort of overkill as a level four as a as a super basic intro so basically I, I personally i believe i would recommend that demonstrators in places where they think that gun violence is likely to get a 3a vest and wear it if they like feel like they can or it's a good idea there's a lot of like complications actually i feel like i, I should probably disclaim that in the united states at least uh violent felons cannot own or use body armor Feder mm -hmm. federally i mean they literally can but it is not legal for them to do so um it, unless it is like a, through a specific exception through work like some violent felon security guards for example are allowed to wear vests and or you know play carriers or whatever um and body armor as defined by this federal law appears to be anything designed to protect you from bullets although i'm not a lawyer and it does look like it could probably be interpreted more broadly to protect you against like you know, sports arm uh, to protect you against less lethals, but I'm not certain of that ever mm -hmm. being used. Every individual state is going to have different laws about what you can and can't do with armor. And specifically, most states have laws where if you're com if you commit a crime while wearing armor, wearing an armor, be wearing armor becomes an additional charge. Yeah. Yes. Um, and some states, Kansas, you're not allowed to go to a demonstration wearing armor. Connecticut, you're not allowed to get armor shipped to your door. Uh, and I, I can't figure out whether minors can legally possess armor. It, it seems kind of blurrily written. Do you have any idea? I, I don't, and that's not something I can, I can speak to. I haven't okay. come across any restrictions on minors wearing body armor. Okay. Yeah, so In some of the unclear. like lists of state laws... I think it's this, those lists are kind of written in a, a not exceptionally clear way. So it's worth looking right. into if you are a minor or you're interested in outfitting a minor with body armor. It is not federally illegal as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah. 
I'm curious, are you aware of anyone catching charges for body armor? And also specifically, I know that, for example, when people talk about advocating firearm possession, you you run into the risk of like, I'm under the impression, I've been told this by felons, that if I'm in a car with a felon and I get pulled over and I have a gun on me and it's perfectly legal for me to have the gun, the felon can be in a lot of trouble for basically being in the same car as a gun. Um, mm-hmm. Are you? Do you know much about this by any chance like in in regards to to guns or body armor uh either probably mostly about body armor but also about guns um yeah i mean like guns i I also like i've had that conversation you know um yeah not not just like with felons but people on like various types of probation Mm -hmm. you know can't can't be in a in a vehicle with with a firearm or even in like a a close proximity where they could like reasonably seize, seize that thing uh, within like a defined space. Um, you know, like a home for instance. Okay. Um, as for body armor, um, I, to answer your first question, I have not heard of anyone catching charges for body armor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also haven't heard of anyone, uh, getting elevated charges for body armor. Um, which is interesting because yeah, as you mentioned, like a lot of States, um, you know, have this, this thing essentially that like elevates your charges in the same way that, you know, if you uh, are arrested for, you know, being present at a riot and, you know, you have a firearm on you in most cases that, you know, potentially could just tack on five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, body armor in various states has like similar kind of like elevated things. And I have not heard of anyone with body armor getting arrested and getting those elevated charges. I'm not saying that hasn't happened. I'm just not aware of it. Yeah. And similarly, I'm not aware of um, any kind of, I guess, like protective limits on mm-hmm. like people who the state considers felons or, or what have you, like not being able to possess body armor in the same way that they're not allowed to possess rifles. I'm not aware of those things. Okay. Like you, I'm not a lawyer, TM. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think where the danger lies um, mm-hmm if we're thinking about how the state interacts with body armor is um, how the state interacts with like all kind of like tactical equipment and weapons Mm -hmm. in that even if things are completely legal, um, you know, the state loves to um, post photographs on Twitter or whatever of like, we arrested this person and they had these things, Mm -hmm. even if those things are like incredibly legal and very normal um, at all times. Like, you know, uh, if the state arrests, like, uh, a, a leftist activist or you know something like that um they want to like somehow paint them as like a terrorist or a, or a violent criminal and they'll always use your equipment to do this whether or not it's legal yeah um and, and i think like you know this this is done like for say like far-right potential school shooters um where the state will be like uh this shooter owned um a plate carrier, a bulletproof vest, and 1,000 rounds of ammunition, which, like, uh, is, is any, like, kind of <laughs> person involved in firearms training will be like, yeah, that is completely normal and, like, not weird or bad or, like, indicative of any, like, you know, yeah. ill intent at all. Yeah. Um, they probably yeah, should the have gotten more ammo than that before, you know, to right, train. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that I, you know, I, I grew up, uh, middle class and insulated from a lot of the horrors of the world, right? And mm-hmm. so I always, I, I had this, and, and white, and I had this impression that the law, like, 
exists as a real thing that like people believe in and like not that like everyone believes in right but that like the state cares about and shit like that and and it was this epiphany years and years ago at this point where i realized that everything's illegal and they just choose who to punish for it you know there's Mm -hmm. There's always a way to pick any given person and find out what law they're breaking later, you know? Right. And so it doesn't surprise me that if there's like these these laws against body armor and maybe they aren't really being used against either side right now, but they certainly could be, you know, whatever. Um, right. And so that's like disclaimers worth understanding. And also when you go to a demonstration, if you are like openly wearing a plate carrier or even concealed carrying a, wearing a plate carrier and it's obvious which is fairly easy to it's fairly hard to conceal a plate carrier it can be done but um you're changing the optics of the situation and you're changing the way that the police are going to interact with you you're changing the way that other people are going to interact with you um and so it's it's not always that's like something to consider when you consider whether or not to wear armor uh, that said, it really does seem like a lot of people, for very good reason, want to start wearing armor. And mm-hmm. from that point of view, again, like a 3A soft vest would be a, a very good place to start. Um, yeah. Do you have yeah. like thoughts about... Okay, so for example, okay, so I'm going to like talk about 3A vests and basically just interject if you if you think I'm missing something or if I got something wrong. Um, so totally. a 3A vest is basically, so police often, or at least historically, were wearing like two and two A vests, which is a lesser level of protection that is meant to protect against like sort of the average nine millimeter round. Whereas a 3A vest ostensibly protects against any handgun round handguns and rifles for people who don't like deal with guns on any kind of regular basis actually are very different in terms of how much damage they do to people. Um, and handguns are substantially, you know, substantially less lethal. They're not less lethal weapons. They're very lethal weapons, but they're, um, they destroy the body a lot less and they have a lot less power and they cut through a lot less stuff. A soft vest is made up of lots and lots of layers of, it used to be Kevlar and it still often is Kevlar, which is an aramid fiber. It's basically just different types of fucking plastic. Um, plastic fibers but like super fancy plastic fibers and older vests and a lot of modern vests are still made of kevlar and then some newer vests seem to be made out of uhmwpe or some fucking acronym like that Mm -hmm. do you randomly know that acronym i i i do not but i i know what you're referring to yeah um which is just like a newer fancier stronger than all of this shit's like stronger than steel by by weight um yeah and Basically, they're the same fucking thing. It's a shitload of layers of uh, plastic cloth. And what happens is each layer, as the bullet passes through it, it disseminates some of that force across the entire layer and then penetrates it and then goes to the next layer and does the same thing over and over again until it eventually stops before it reaches the person on the other side. Um, And this is actually historically was used a lot... um, gambesons are the padded armor of the middle ages and they were incredibly effective it's usually what you wore underneath other armor but 
if you're poor, it might be the only thing you wear. And it's just a fuck ton of layers of uh, flax, of linen. And it was actually fairly effective against arrows. I mean, it's still better to not get shot with arrows in the same way that it's much better to not get shot with bullets. Um, so that is what a soft vest is made out of. And then there's uh, mm-hmm. two sort of styles of soft vests that I run across. One is a wraparound vest in which the the inserts... Okay, so... Your vest, the outer layer is not going to be Kevlar. The outer layer is going to be a cheaper plastic, I don't know, um, or a, a plastic that's like more resistant against the sun and more scuff resistant and shit like that. Um, mm-hmm. And within that is your pad of Kevlar layers. I'm just going to keep calling it Kevlar, even though they could be Dy- yep. Dyneema or Spectra or a bunch of other shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's all brand names anyway. Okay, so... And... The nicer vests are wraparound in which the uh, protective, the ballistic fabric goes all the way around, including on the sides. Whereas you can also get a cheaper bulletproof vest, which basically functions actually like a plate carrier, which we'll talk about a little bit later, where there's just inserts that are basically rectangles that cover your front and your back against bullets. Um, yeah. And some of those can be had substantially cheaper. But they also are, there's not really, besides cost, I don't see any advantage to a non-wraparound vest. Do you have any, is there any advantage to a non-wraparound vest? None that I can really, really think of. (laughs) Okay. Because with plates, it's a little bit different because the plates are so fucking heavy that a lot of people, like, as far as I'm aware, like, a lot of, like, soldiers get issued side plates and then just take them out because they're, like, fuck carrying an extra three pounds on each side of me because I'm already carrying too much fucking weight. Um, A bulletproof vest is not substantially heavy. Like, it is day-to-day wearable by most people, I believe. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I would agree with that. And so that's, I, it's funny because I feel like until a couple years ago, well, actually until this year, I feel like most of the people I knew who were interested in body armor were primarily looking at plate carriers because they were more looking at stuff from an armed community defense point of view. Whereas now Mm -hmm. there's more of this like daily wear interest in surviving the cyberpunk apocalypse that we're living in. Yeah. Um, Have you, have you noticed like either a, a, I don't know. Do you have like thoughts about soft vests or the the growing interest in them or anything like that? No, I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah, I won't say no because I do have thoughts. Mm-hmm. I I think it's a brilliant thing to do and wear. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the one thing I think that gives me pause is uh, a good soft vest and, you know, good plate carrier, good body armor, like Mm -hmm. uh, relatively speaking, the gap in how much that is costing is not that much. Mm -hmm. I I think that's, that's the only thing that kind of gives me pause. Um, But I think as far as just something that, yeah, is like more accessible to people to wear and be mobile and also like blend in more of the crowd is like very interesting. I think, um, yeah, you know, most of, the instances of like gun violence people are probably going to face in this climate. And even if like this climate continues to escalate are are you know, it's going to be nine millimeter rounds, mm-hmm. uh, which is and, a handgun yeah. round for people. Right. Who, yeah. yeah. Or, or, you know, a 
you know, pistol caliber carbine, whatever. We don't sure. need yeah. to <laughs> get, yeah. get geeky about it. Yeah, like handgun caliber. And, you know, generally speaking, these soft vests are are, are going to do a good job at stopping that. Um, so if that's, if that's your, like, yeah, threat analysis, then that is, like, really brilliant. And, you know, a, an all-black soft vest or something like that is something mm-hmm. you can more feasibly, like, wear to a demo mm-hmm. and not immediately get singled out as like something of massive interest to the police it's Mm -hmm. it doesn't become like uh you know going along with this old idea of people saying hey you don't want to be the only person wearing all black at a demonstration Mm -hmm. um you know or the only person wearing you know something stand out Mm -hmm. i I feel like it doesn't apply so much to soft armor so that's really good um additionally because of it being soft it's not going to create like the potential like blunt force trauma on your body that a plate might. Um, and I think that is, you know, maybe something we can get more into with, with plate carriers, but it's something that it's like not thought of very frequently because a lot of the people that, yeah, as you said, that like have been buying body armor from the standpoint of like, I want to be prepared for armed community defense are not, um, until this year are not, and we're not, in my opinion, like, in imminent threat of being shot at mm-hmm. all of the time. Yeah. <laughs> at demonstrations, people are. And so I think now we're like interacting more like uh, philosophically with the concept of like what happens after I get shot. And, you know, with body armor, um, that's that hard plate striking you is still going to cause some kind of injury or issue. Okay, wait. And, I actually. Sorry, go ahead. I yeah. didn't mean to cut. Well, I do mean no, no, to cut you off. I'll, I'll pause. Um, I've been doing a bunch of research about this, and in terms of getting shot, it actually, I, I and by doing a bunch of research, I have not tested this, right? And you also have more experience in the front line, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. In my research, because a, a hard plate takes the the force and disperses it over a much larger area, it hurts substantially less to get shot in a hard plate than a soft vest. Mm-hmm. Or do you mean like, like, and also, it, a hard plate also seems like a better thing in, against like less lethals and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think like what I'm what I'm referring to is mm-hmm. you know the things that can occur with like larger caliber things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but but also like I think what people don't comprehend is that it's still going to be some kind of a shock mm-hmm. and still, I guess like be something that will occur. Yeah, 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 and also does, does that. Does that distinction make sense? I think so. And and one of the things that... One of the dangers of armor is that... Um, like, the first time you carry a gun, like, on your person, you feel like you're 45 feet tall and, like... You know, yeah. and it's it's not actually good to feel that way, right? And right. body armor is, like, a a less militant or less, like, aggressive version of a very similar thing where you can be, like oh, well, I have a helmet on and some body armor, so, like, bring it on, you know? And um, right. and the answer is, like, never bring it on. Like, right. it is always, like, get behind an engine block of a car, like, don't get shot, you know? Um, and and so that's a, that, to me, that's a, a danger of armor and, and the proliferation of armor, but it still seems, as long as people can keep that in mind and, like, work to, you know, don't be mad at yourself if you feel that way, because you're 
you're you're gonna feel that way a little bit you're gonna feel like tough when you're walking around in armor you know and then just like right try and remember that you're you're meat and bones um uh okay so another thing about the soft vests and i'm i've only just started doing this research now is that um before the the older threat model from fascist violence from my point of view as i've been doing research about armor for the past several years was uh knives right we've seen a lot of instances of the far right stabbing and cutting people at demonstrations or on the street and for a lot of the world knives continue to be one of the main threats from far right violence because guns are not as common in in any other society on the planet um that i'm aware of maybe maybe there's some active you know war zones or whatever where guns are also a part of daily society but so knives are a major threat and a bulletproof vest is not inherently particularly stab resistant as far as i can tell it is pretty mm-hmm. substantially slash resistant just because it's a fuck ton of cloth um yeah and it's a fuck ton of strong cloth right um there are bulletproof vests that are rated for stab proof and i believe what they do is that you're like you're mixing up it's all kevlar stab proof vests are also kevlar but it seems to be met or you know aramid fibers or pe fibers or whatever the fuck um but they seem to be basically composed in a different way and use a very similar tactic of like multiple layers to catch blades, but they like are just literally composed differently. And so stab resistance on a soft vest is like going to cost you a lot more is my understanding. Um, and I'm wondering if you know much about stab resistance. Um, th- that's not something I like feel mm-hmm. qualified at all to speak on. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, 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 honest, yeah. no, that, that, that makes sense. And so what, what anti-fascists have been doing for years when they go and confront uh, the far right is that they'll wear like leather jackets and things like that, that are substantially not stab proof in any real means, but right. like, at the very least slash resistant. Um, yep. And a bulletproof vest is going to be better than nothing if you get stabbed, but it is not going to stop a knife unless you get one that also comes with stab resistance. Also for what it's yep. worth, just out of those like Kevlar gloves and, and sleeves and shit that you can get for um, like working in kitchens and, you know, working around certain objects, construction work or whatever. Um, As far as I can tell, I haven't tested level nine cut proof sleeves yet. Uh, I'm interested in doing so. And if anyone out there has experience with these things, please let me know. They are not doing you any good in a knife fight. As far as I can tell, Um, it's possible that the highest level of ones do but in general these are unfortunately just designed to protect you against incidental uh, nicks and scrapes and uh, yes <laughs> yeah um and knife fights are as dumb as gummed fights like just don't fucking get into knife fights jesus fucking christ um but uh okay so maybe we can move on to hard plates and then and then talk about at the end sort of sourcing and and like surplus and things like that with plate carriers plate carriers are a vest that have sleeves that you put hard plates into and or i guess soft plates you could theoretically put a 3a soft plate into it but just to keep the world simpler i'm going to be talking about soft vests versus plate carriers um so plate carriers generally are carrying plates in this case you need to buy two different things you need to buy both the plate carrier and the uh, 
And plate carriers are what, by the way, if you if you don't know what we're talking about, it's like anytime you look at a picture of like a soldier or a militia person or um, you know. A lot of people, if you see someone carrying a long rifle and then they have like a weird vest covered in pouches, there's a, a very good chance that that vest is a plate carrier. Um, and so the the levels of it, a, a, three, a level three plate is rated to stop certain rifle rounds. But I'm a little bit confused about this and you might know better. It seems like it's not actually rated to stop AR-15 rounds, but just AK-47 rounds. Is that true uh yes that that is true okay and so since the most common rifle threat in the united states is an ar-15 i am gonna like throw them out as a viable option of if you're going to bother wearing a plate carrier um yep so then there's something called three plus which or three special threat i think it's sometimes called and three plus is going to be different based these ratings, just to really quickly, so the ratings come from the National Institute of Justice, the NIJ, and they rate body armor, and it's like 2A, 2, 3A, 3, 4. Uh, maybe there's a level 1. I presume there's a level 1, but I've never run across it anywhere. Um, and so 3 plus is not an actual NIJ rating, but since level 4 is designed to stop like armor piercing what 30 out six rounds so basically uh armor manufacturers realized that there was a, a hole in the rating system which is a hole caused by a ar-15 and so they made three plus and every manufacturer is going to yeah. do it a little bit differently and so it's sort of a bullshit term but it's actually a very useful bullshit term as far as i can tell um because mm-hmm. level four plates are sort of overkill for most threats um the the rifle that it's meant to stop i believe was the battle rifle of world war ii like um that the allies were using and is currently primarily used as a hunting round as far as i'm aware um yes so a a level three plus plate is probably what you're looking for or rather a pair of plates you need one plate for the front and one plate for the back you can also get side plates but as i was talking about earlier a lot of people ditch those for weight and so and a level three plus plate is probably going to be slimmer and uh, lighter than a level four plate, but not inherently. And also when these, when, when armor is designed to stop a threat, it doesn't always stop a ton of it. It's like, like some plates will stop a threat higher than their, their rating would allow, but they might just stop only a couple bullets rather than a, a ton of them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the two types of plates largely that you'd be looking for is you'd either be looking for steel plates, which seem to be sort of going out of fashion um, or ceramic plates. And often the ceramic plates are ceramic backed with uh, polyethylene, which is the, Mm -hmm. um, and with a steel plate, basically it's just a fucking thick piece of hard steel where it will, where bullets don't go through it. Um, And it's, stupid heavy and i believe a, a level three plus set of plates is often like what about eight pounds a plate does that seem right uh yeah somewhere in the realm of like six to eight pounds a plate yeah okay whereas ceramic plates are more like five or six pounds a plate yep and 
the difference between carrying 10 pounds and carrying 16 pounds all day is actually pretty massive. And so more and more people are moving away from steel plates. They're also moving away from steel plates because of this issue. I'm actually curious your take on this, like moving away from steel plates. Um, The other reason that people are essentially moving away from steel plates is that steel plates suffer from something called spalling, where basically like as the bullet turns into shrapnel when it hits the plate it can kind of go anywhere and also maybe is it bits of the plate i don't know do you want to explain spalling and things like that yeah i mean it's it's quite simple you know you have like a steel thing and a big projectile hits the steel thing and it you know in essence like takes a small chunk out of it and like slivers of the steel go places and the round is going to like also potentially either in bed or like going to different places, like certain like fragments of it. Um, and yeah, and these pieces can, can go into various places. Also like it's going to deform like much more on like the backside of the plate and like create more, yeah, like blunt force trauma because of like how steel deforms. Um, and I think something like something to consider is, you know, like a lot of these, uh, types of steel yeah are the same types of steel or similar types of steel you'd use for like steel targets at a shooting range right mm-hmm. like so obviously your round's not sailing through it but it's creating a pretty large impact and also like if you're standing close to it um you know say like less than 25 yards the chance of like some kind of piece of something you know piece of the round you know some kind of shrapnel coming towards you and embedding itself in you mm-hmm. is you know, a distinct possibility. Um, you know, like I'm speaking to like, say like AR 500, um, steel. Um, and that's, like I, that's I not a brand. Steel. That's a, a type of steel. Yes. Okay. Um, and you know, I watched for instance, like this type of steel get shot at, you know, 25 yards say, mm-hmm. um, with, you know, a rifle, which is like, well, well within, um, an unsafe distance or like what the manufacturer calls a very unsafe distance for, for steel rounds mm-hmm. and like, a you know, something spalled off the target and like embedded itself in um, my friend's neck. Um, From 75 feet know, away. Is, wow. Uh, yeah. And no, sorry. It was, it was much less than that. Oh, I'd 25. Say maybe like 30. Oh, 25 yeah, feet. Yeah. Not, it was I'd like say... 30 feet or something. I'm, okay. I'm like, I'm estimating, mm-hmm. but um you know, it certainly did not cause a traumatic injury. And it was just a simple case of like, get a pair of tweezers, like pluck the thing out, Mm -hmm. clean it and, you know, put a little piece of gauze over it until bleeding stops. But it is still, it was still like enough to like highlight in my brain, like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. um, be far away from steel when you get shot. And, you know, as a sort of result of like this criticism about spalling, like rightful criticism, um, Mm -hmm. you can have like, what's called like trauma, uh, trauma pads to go on the inside of your plate carrier to essentially be like a buffer between you and the plate. Um, and a lot of steel plates are being sold with, uh, you know, it's called like anti-spall coating, Mm -hmm. which, you know, allegedly stops the steel from spalling. Mm -hmm. I'll stop there. Okay. So, so that's steel and then there's ceramic and what ceramic does is it basically breaks upon impact. And so it actually, it seems to absorb more of the impact, like because it mm-hmm. it is breaking it up, and then the bullet is now substantially less strong because it just all of its power went to breaking the ceramic, 
and then it gets stopped in the polyethylene layer, the plastic layer behind it, which I've read that these layers, these things are basically usually rated 3A themselves, like the, the polyethylene itself is strong enough. Um, and so ceramic plates used to be substantially more expensive. Like I, I think like what a, a decent pair of like three plus plates of steel is like been around $300 for a while. Is that like 300 to 500? Is that seem true? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then it used to be that a, a decent, like the equivalent quality ceramic plates were about twice that maybe 800 to a thousand. Is that Mm-hmm. Um, that's accurate yeah but then more recently there's been a, a drop in the price of ceramic plates and and also like there's lots of videos of youtube on youtube of like people shooting all of these different plates with different things and being like holy crap this stopped like you know there's there's level three ceramic plates from la police gear that are only rated level three but seem to be stopping like all kinds of shit right yep yep um one of the things that I'm curious your take on what's made me nervous is why I um, is that it seems like ceramic plates, most of the major manufacturers are basically like uh, skimping on the size of their plates. Uh, plates are usually for a, a medium sized person. You're usually buying plates that are uh, 10 by 12 inches. Roughly every plate manufacturer is going to have slightly different ways of doing it. And Smaller people are often buying eight by tw- eight by ten plates, and then larger people mm-hmm. are often buying eleven by fourteen plates. These seem to be the, mm-hmm. the three sizes of plates, at least in the United States. Um, and you need to make sure that your plate carrier matches this. I've been told that pretty much you want to make sure that your plate goes like nipple to nipple, and then from your collarbone. Yep. How far down from your collarbone? Like, how low should a plate cover? I like to think it should generally end like around your your belly button okay so one of the things about these ceramic plates from major manufacturers is that they seem to have it's often like an inch but i don't know whether that's a half an inch on each side or what but basically they have like the ceramic doesn't go all the way to the edge so you're losing at, at least an inch but possibly two inches i'm not sure of effective surface Mm -hmm. um why that just seems so sketchy. Like, what's the deal? Do you know? Yeah. I mean, there is, I mean, I think it's like being driven by market and demand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like uh, a lot of this might is, is likely my like, uh, you know, anti-capitalist bias mm-hmm. <laughs> into being like mad at things that, you know, the consumer market is doing, but there's like a lot of emphasis right now on like low profile and like slick plate carriers. So there definitely seems to be this like race to the top of like how small and how slick and how sleek can we go with our body armor. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's sketchy to be honest. Like, and, and this is like about how um, like a lot of plate carriers have started to be, I guess like shaped or stitched in like more recent years mm-hmm. um, that are like, designed around like being able to be covert and like perhaps not design like design more for like the civilian market rather than like uh like a nato fighting force Mm -hmm. so you know there's there's like i think more of like a direct thing of like we're really really just trying to like kind of protect this like direct area that is generally defined as like the kill box okay so to speak like this is area of your body that is going to like result in yeah, like very, 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 um, you know, 
quick or like immediate death. And, and the idea is like, yeah, we really, really just want to protect like this zone generally. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've like pretty mixed feelings about it. Okay. But, but also it's, um, like the kind of advent of, I think what you're talking about are like shooters cut plates. Mm -hmm. So are like, you know, cut slimmer to like advocate for more like mobility of your arms and your shoulders and like a better placement of like the stock of a rifle and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so like not as impeded by, by body armor. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like something that's also driving it as well. Okay. Um, and I do want to. I kind of want to shout out that there is a. There's. There's one. We'll talk more about sourcing in a, in a moment. I think we're not going to get to helmets today. Um, there's one leftist armor that I'm aware of, which is called Red Star Defense, and they're based in the Pacific Northwest. And they mm -hmm. make their own plates. They used to make steel plates, and now they make ceramic plates. And they uh, also resell soft armor and plate carriers and things like that, and tactical gloves. Um, and one of their whole things is that they point out their ceramic plates are currently around $300 for a pair. And they point out that the ceramic plates are designed with like edge to edge protection. Like, yeah. And that, that seems worthwhile. Um, yeah. So I, I want to talk about fit of plates and yeah. one of the things, so one of the advantages of soft vests, as far as I can understand is it seems easier to get soft vests that fit different sizes of bodies well um, because they are softer. I I know that there has been some development towards like, uh, specifically what I'm talking about is that often vests are not designed for, um, with, for people with breasts. And so, but, and also just like, just different size people in general. Um, yeah. And soft vests have an advantage as far as this goes. Everything yeah. I've read, and I, I'll, I'll kind of say what I've what I've come up with, and if if you have like corrections or other thoughts or anything that you've you've watched people deal with, um, a soft vest is a better bet. There are soft vests that are specifically designed for people with different body types. They tend to be fairly expensive and sort of outside of the realm of like most of the cheaper vests that you can access. As far as plate carriers go the best that I've been able to come up with in my research is that um, combining a, a binder or a very tight sports bra yep. with a plate carrier and then going for as much as possible, the, the multi-curve style plates plates come in either flat uh, single curve or multi-curve. And every manufacturer is going to make all of these things slightly differently, but uh, a single curve basically bends in the middle vertically so it's like kind of wraps around your body a little bit more and multi-curve yep. like uh curves and multiple axes and so and yep. then the other thing is that um some people talk about uh, for people with breasts uh a swimmer's cut being more useful and a swimmer's cut is kind of there's different cuts of plates as well and again they're sort of manufacturer jargon although some of them seem to be fairly standard where like a basic plate is um a rectangle with two little notches taken out of the top corners. And then a shooter's cut is going to exaggerate one of those cuts so that it's easier to move your mm -hmm. dominant arm for, for uh, shouldering your rifle. And yep. a swimmer's cut is basically doing the same thing on both sides and just like coming in at the top as like much as it can get away with. 
um, yeah. and exposing far more of your sort of shoulder area, but giving you more freedom of movement. And that seems yeah. to be an advantage for some people um, in terms of fitting. Do you have other ideas about how to fit vests um, to different sizes of bodies? No, I, I really, I think you, you nailed it. <laughs> if I have nothing to add, uh, okay. honestly. Um, yeah, combining like a binder with, with multi-curve is, is I think great. Um, like sappy is going to work on the back for most bodies I find. Um, what's yeah, sappy? You're, you're, sappy is the, the style of the basic style of cut. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just going to essentially go like more up towards the shoulders mm -hmm. and like generally I think that'll be fine on the back. Like what would I use or had experience using was, uh, yeah, like more of like a sappy cut on the back and like more of a swimmer's cut on the front mm -hmm. and, and, or yeah, shooter's cut. And I found that to be like quite comfortable and I found that to be like working for, for most types of bodies, you know, there's, there's less, I think like variance for, for folks and like what's going on with your back. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, as I, I really, really recommend like combining it with like a binder or yeah, as you said, a, a tight fitting sports bra, uh, I think that's just going to make your situation a lot more comfortable. Okay. Yeah. I, I ran across specifically, there's a, a brand of equestrian sports bras that is like, this is what you should wear if you're like a lady cop or whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which actually kind of gets into one of the things that when it, so the the okay, do you have other thoughts specifically on plate carriers? Um, you, on the armor or the carriers? Oh, okay, that's something we haven't talked about yet either. Is so we've talked about the armor, the plates, but mm -hmm. um, the carriers themselves. Like, uh, what are you looking for in um, a carrier? Yeah, so we want to be selecting a carrier based on what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a couple like different ways we can go. And uh, you're generally going to like go along the distinction of what's called like covert or overt. Mm -hmm. um, you know, an overt plate carrier is generally going to have some kind of like a Molly set up on the front or possibly like uh, integrated pouches or something mm -hmm. like that. What's, but essentially what's I, Molly? Uh, Molly, uh, yeah, good question, is like a, a military style of webbing that is going to go sort of uh, horizontally across with sort of like stitching every inch or so. And, you know, this is kind of like a standard, even though there's a lot of different types of attachment. Mm -hmm. um, this way we can like pass straps through that, like different Molly straps to attach different accessories, whether that okay. be, you know, your individual first aid kit, whether that be, you know, a pouch for rifle magazines, um, that that's going to be the one, one of the most common, yeah, attachment okay. points. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, so that's going to generally be your overt, you know, an overt play carrier on the back perhaps is going to have like a, a zipper for like zipping in a back panel or a hydration kit or yeah, like specialist kind of tools. And this is essentially going to create, uh, an overt play, play carrier is going to create the ability generally for like what you described, like your, NATO military or your militia loadout of, you know, this big vest with lots of things on it. Mm -hmm. uh, that, yeah, you know, if, if your job requires this, whatever job means to you, you know, gives you the ability to carry a full combat load of ammunition and communication supplies and a pack, all this kind of stuff. Um, the second type of plate carrier that is becoming uh, a lot more common these days, and, like, I think the one I think is more suited to 
who I imagine is listening to this program, um, is going to be your covert style of plate carrier. Um, mm-hmm. And this is essentially going to be completely flat on the front and the back and be about as close to like the profile of something like a, a soft vest. Um, so how you attach stuff on this, normally it's going to have like a field on the front of uh, like hook and loop or like Velcro backing. And the good ones will have inserts for a type of hardware called like swift clips that allow you to like clip in, you know, chest rigs and other types of equipment. What's but a chest rig? Yeah, a, a, a chest rig is, you know, essentially going to serve the same like load bearing function of, you know, an overt plate carrier. Okay. Of having a lot of stuff on it. But what a covert style plate carrier gives you the ability to do is to transition from being very like low visibility to high visibility with mm-hmm. either just, you know, pulling off this Velcro thing or clipping something in. Um, so it's really like adaptable and is generally going to be, yeah, I think kind of what we want to be looking for in this application. It does like limit you, right? Especially with like a back panel because most back panels of um, like covert body armor are, are not going to have, um, you know, the ability to like attach something like, a, you know, a pack or a hydration kit. But these also are not necessarily the applications that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, a good covert plate carrier, um, and we can talk more about like brands or sourcing. Uh, generally speaking, if you wear like a hoodie over it or um, a jacket or even like a flannel shirt, um, you're not really going to be able to see that you're wearing this, especially mm-hmm. in the dark. And, like, for this reason, like, it's become, like, yeah, really favored by, like, yeah, I guess, like, more low visibility type, like, military contractors and that sort of thing for running personal security details. Um, you know, I've, I've personally run these things when I needed to be a little lower visibility. and Maybe we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this definitely gives us the ability to wear body armor without it being obvious. Um, you know, for reference, one of these, like, good plate carriers if say you want to train in this plate carrier and go out for a run, if it's kind of a colder month, you can easily slip like a light jacket over it and really have no one be any the wiser. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and that's a good point about, about concealability that an, a covert plate carrier can be concealed, especially under the kind of loose clothing that make a lot of sense anyway, when we're all trying to be less identifiable. Yeah. Um, one of the the only the only real downside to the the plate carrier it seems like from a demonstrator's point of view is uh, is the weight um yeah and you know that's going to be kind of up to each individual to macholy decide that they can carry as much weight as they possibly want and then later regret i've never yeah. done that i don't know it any anyway um one of the okay, I'm curious about. I've, I've been starting to run into in my research. There's this idea that you can get a soft vest that has in conjunction plates, where you can add in plates that are a little bit thinner than would you you would otherwise need, and a little bit lighter than you would otherwise need, to basically turn your soft vest into a hard into a plate carrier, where you don't have to. It relies on the ballistic properties of the vest itself in order to meet the full uh, rating. Of, of armor mm-hmm. do you, is this just like i mean maybe these are just like stupidly expensive and that's why i don't run across them more or like what's the deal with these things 
I, I, this is not something I have like any in real life experience with. Mm-hmm. So I, I generally like shy away from, yeah, like speaking to stuff I don't have okay. yeah, IRL experience with. And, and also, yeah, I find these things to be like so niche and so expensive. I think they're probably out of like the purview of being useful. Okay. Yeah. One is, of the, is go ahead. Generally my thought. No, no, sorry. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot with like any kind of prepper gear is that I, I know in general that a lot of people get really into like you, you buy, and I think this is generally true. You buy the, the nicest gear you can afford, right? Like right. my dad, you know, grew up poor and always believes that the way he taught me to interact with stuff is you buy the nicest thing you can afford and you use it until it's absolutely destroyed. You know, you yeah. don't, you don't upgrade because you want the new thing, but when you do, you get the nicest thing you can afford, right? That's, that's generally been my, my attitude, but I've been focusing with my like kind of gear, research around goggles and gas masks and you know sports armor and things like that one of the advantages of price is because i realized that like the thing that keeps me safest from tear gas is not having twice as expensive a pair of goggles is having my friend next to me also have a pair of goggles so they can also stay in the tear gas so that they can keep me safe and yep so it does seem like price actually like cheaper in some ways is really worth considering with this kind of thing, especially because so much of the the left is gearing up uh, now after it's too late. Um, Mm -hmm. And so two vests seems a lot better than one vest. If, if the vest is like 80% as good as the expensive one. Yeah. Um, So sourcing these things, uh, the, the biggest catch is that we're in the middle of the apocalypse and um, mm-hmm. everyone's buying these things and that makes them hard to <laughs> buy. Uh, and also, it, so, and the other biggest catch is that the people who sell these things generally don't have us as their target market. Um, they generally, you know, offer out discount codes like Trump 2020 and... <laughs> Um, and sell a lot of MAGA gear and specifically focus on, you know, it seems like there's the, the manufacturers that I run across, they either focus on police and military or right-wing LARPers or Mm -hmm. private security, AKA also the criminal element, but we try not to draw too much attention to that fact. Those seem to be like the three styles of, of armor distributors that I've been able to come across. Um, yeah. And none of those like specifically have us in mind. Obviously the criminal element probably more includes us than other things. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that actually seems to be more of like the surplus market. So I, I guess I'll, I'll talk a little bit and then, and then please just like, yeah, like correct me um, mm-hmm. with, with soft vests, you, there are very few manufacturers of new vests that will be able to get you a vest anytime in the next two months. A lot of places are on back order. Um, it's possible that if you're buying an upper, like an expensive vest, this might not be the case. I don't know. I, I haven't really looked at anything that costs more than like $400 personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get new vests on eBay for around $300 that are coming in from the UK and Canada that hopefully only take about a week to ship at the moment. Um, you can get surplus vests on eBay and through other sellers much faster. And the deal with soft vests is that they're rated for five years. They're, they expire after five years. So police departments swap them out every five years. So surplus manufacturers get these insert Kevlar 
vests that are expired and put them into new essentially carriers new vests they the, the outside is new but the inside is the same and these can be mm-hmm. had for if you're lucky 160 180 dollars more realistically in the 250 to 300 range um and my research has that while kevlar it degrades from uh sunlight especially uh it can also degrade from just use and sweat and things like that all of the stuff I've seen of people shooting old vests is that they're still holding up. And I'm curious yep. if you, is that your belief about surplus? Th- that is also my belief about soft vests. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I honestly, like when it comes down to it, I'd probably recommend surplus vests. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there's also a hundred dollar Botac. Um, Botac is a bootlicking manufacturer who's, um, who sell a, $100 vest that is on back order, but they don't even list it as back order. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's not wrap around. It's only the front and back. Um, and then there's a more expensive ones you can buy, but again, like that's sort of outside the purview of this. And then as, is there anything else about surp, uh, sourcing soft vests that you want to get into? Uh, I, I, I think like, and maybe we can go more into this, but I would just say, like, get creative with uh, looking for this stuff. Like, you'll find, yeah, a lot of these, like, surplus soft vests at, uh, like, military surplus stores, which are, you know, almost, like, invariably still very open, uh, despite, like, COVID-19 <laughs> concerns for, you know, like, political reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these these places are almost always, like, in, like, rural areas and sometimes are not, like, listed on the Internet, um, you know, this kind of thing. And, you know, I think being creative and looking for these places and finding like someone in in your group or your friend group that feels safe going into these places, um, a lot of the time they'll, you know, you'll be able to somehow finagle like a a bulk deal or like a bulk discount. Um, You know, say if you can go in and say like, hey, I want to buy 10 of these and I've got cash in hand, you know, they'll many times like cut you a deal Mm -hmm. because if you you know, perhaps like dress a certain way or like appear a certain way or act a certain way, they might, you know, roll the dice and imagine that you are preparing with the same political mentality that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, w- I would encourage people to like consider that as an option, like buying in bulk and buying in person. Okay. Um, as, as being, yeah, viable. That makes sense. And then also Red Star Defense does list um, SoftFest on their website for about $220. Mm-hmm. At the moment, they only have medium and large, and they also say that they're on back order um, because they, you know, are selling <laughs> very rapidly. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and then it's possible, and I haven't looked into, I haven't talked to anyone who's done this. There are manufacturers, uh, Chinese manufacturers, that would probably sell in bulk to American customers. Uh, it would probably yes. take a little while, but I am under the impression most of this shit is actually being made in China anyway, and often probably by these same factories. Um, mm-hmm. You'd have to do some work around this. It, you'd probably have to order one and then shoot it and then order the hundred or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. And that, that would take a little while, but it seems like a way to do it. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, can, can I throw in another mm-hmm. uh, like avenue of looking for this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there's like a, a quite popular website called arms list Mm -hmm. that you know is is accessible in you know pretty much all places in the u.s and 
primarily functions to sell firearms, but they also do have, uh, you know, from like private person to person sale, uh, you know, disclaimer, follow your local laws, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, if you're considering purchasing a firearm in that way, but they also have a section of, uh, arms list that just sells, you know, tactical gear. And so what I've found is that a lot of like enterprising, like would be entrepreneurs and like capitalists, um, foresaw like this current uh you know cyberpunk apocalypse (laughs) Uh and bought a bunch of shit in bulk and are listing it on arms list um and i've had success and my friends have had success like buying like large amounts of of things whether it's um you know yeah like ballistic protection you know medical supplies like whatever it may be just by kind of cruising arms list and looking at the listings and just taking your time because a lot of the time there will be something kind of like uh, a little like obtuse in the description of saying like I have a lot of these and they're in brand new condition mm-hmm. that you know once you start emailing this person they're like yeah I have a hundred and mm-hmm. it's and it's very clear that they like opened some kind of a dealer account somewhere and just got a shitload and now they're totally willing to sell them at like honestly a pretty low cost because they're still making a profit okay so yeah considering our arms list as, as an option and being like aware that like a lot of scams do happen on that website so you know either like go in person to wherever the place is or like uh you know don't use a money transfer application like venmo that doesn't have any buyer protection mm-hmm. um keeping those things in mind it's it's a very viable source i think which uh what money transfer applications do have buyer protection um uh paypal so (laughs) this is this seems so bizarre to be like yeah on the on the channel zero network like plugging paypal (laughs) but you know if you are talking about buying like tactical equipment because Mm -hmm. tactical equipment isn't such high demand right now there will be scams and like people are scamming very very frequently um which you know more more power to people like taking advantage of the tactical market to do what they can do to get by but um something to be aware of and yeah so like paypal uh is like kind of taking action like not permitting like you know like gun sales and that kind of thing so um you know you maybe don't want to put in the description like ballistic helmet Mm -hmm. or something like that um if you're using paypal but if you are using paypal and you're buying off of a site like uh like arms list or any various uh like tactical suppliers or traders on the on the web um that have pretty extensive buyer beware disclaimers that are, the websites will not offer you protection because they're free forums um, to be insistent with people on using PayPal goods or services instead mm-hmm. of friends or family. Yeah. And if the person is like unwilling to do that, that's usually a pretty substantial red flag. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah, not, not, not to get like too into the weeds about like, yeah, buyer protection, but yeah, it's still pretty. No, no. I, I mean, I, I think that this is a, a reasonably into the weeds podcast is one of the goals of it, you know? <laughs> fair, fair. Um, yeah. Just being like specific about which weeds we're going to get into, which is why, unfortunately, it seems like today we will not be talking about ballistic helmets uh, yeah. or non-ballistic armor, both of which I would love to talk about at some point. And so, okay. So to sort of recap, if you are interested in ballistic protection, if you, if your primary threat model is handguns and you are looking just for something that you can wear every day, unfortunately, and have more mobility. You're looking for a soft vest, and with soft vests, you're looking for a 3A rated vest. There are really cheap 2A and or 2 surplus vests available. They're like 
you know, hundred dollars instead of like two hundred dollars or whatever. And mm-hmm. those are like better than nothing, but I feel weird recommending them personally. Right. Um, yeah. Because a lot of while the average threat of a like nine millimeter round is going to be a round that might be stopped by that vest, a lot of people who are into shooting are going to be shooting uh, ammunition that would penetrate it, like nine millimeter ammunition that does penetrate it. Um, as yep. like self defense rounds, self defense rounds often have like a bit more armor piercing cap- capacity. So three A yep. vest or a three plus or four plate, but probably three plus. And yeah, is there any other like final thoughts on uh, ballistic protection for people who are new to it? Yeah. Um, I think there's like a mentality right now of people are just kind of sort of buying whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've encountered several folks who, you know, Google plate carrier and they, or, you know, duck, duck, go plate carrier or whatever. And, <laughs> uh, are, are, are purchasing the first thing that comes up that is cheap. And, um, I really, really want to caution against this. And, um, when it comes to ballistic protection, like expand your horizon of like what you feel you can afford and, you know, do that through whatever means you feel comfortable doing, whether that's like crowdfunding or something else. Um, my personal theory on this is that a lot of the cheap stuff, um, will be heavy enough to slow you down, but, uh, not strong enough to actually keep you substantially safe. Okay. So uh, what I personally recommend is if you can't afford, like if you want, you know, full ballistic protection, you want, you know, uh, a special threat plate and that kind of thing. If you can't afford something good at the moment, um, I would either like, you know, find find a way to afford that, and you know, which whichever way you want to do that. Um, you know, like crowdfunding is like a really popular model these days, and buying things with your friends, and buying things in bulk, um, buying things used. Um, uh, and if you can't afford it, uh, rely on. Yeah, like speed as security. You know, if well, mm-hmm. what I mean is like if you can only afford a steel plate, maybe don't buy a steel plate without without anti-spall coating because mm-hmm. that is going to weigh you down substantially to the point that you won't be able to move quite as well if you just weren't wearing things and it won't actually offer you the same kind of protection if you're hit. Um, so I think thinking of things from, from that framework um, and... I, I can speak to that a little bit, like the concept of like speed as as security. Um, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, if if I were going to to demonstrations, I would not personally wear body armor at, at this at this point because of like what I am willing to say, like lose uh, in in the streets mm-hmm. to you know the state and that kind of thing. That's my personal thing and other people will have different levels of assessment mm-hmm. um and like i i you know again can't recommend soft armor enough you know the, the guys that we're talking about on here but if you're not able to do these things i think like understanding like what constitutes cover and, and that sort of thing is like really really important mm-hmm. and being able to like get yourself out of the situation very fast is just as important as being able to stop the rounds i think um so yeah i mean just uh, thinking about the difference between cover and concealment, um, remembering that cover is something that can stop whatever ballistic round you are encountering, mm-hmm. 
realizing that like cover is going to look differently for pepper balls. It'll look differently for, you know, impact munitions. It'll look different for nine mil, look different for five, five, six, um, mm-hmm. uh, so on and so forth. So cover is always situational. Um, and cover is better than concealment and concealment is better than nothing. Um, concealment is something that essentially like obscures where you are to, um, the person firing Mm -hmm. the weapon at you. So, you know, something you talked about earlier was like vehicles. You talked about getting behind the engine block of a car. And I guess that's something to maybe put a pin in, in that, um, in movies, you kind of see people ducking behind cars and, the cars stopping rounds and you know um i have seen like a uh, a lot of bullet holes in cars and i, I can tell you that cars are not really stopping <laughs> rounds very well um except for the engine block so getting behind the engine block will for many vehicles provide substantial cover um other places in the car are not really going to provide you anything other than concealment mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I say cars specifically because there are typically a lot of cars in the places that people are going to demonstrations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's generally kind of a bad type of concealment also because, you know, if you're seen going behind this car, uh, like the car reasonably is like a, a smaller kind of surface area that can be watched. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you can sort of like what's called like stitch the outside of the car and, uh, you know, reasonably keep someone kind of uh, stuck in one place for a while mm-hmm. or if you're being watched by by someone yeah it's it's not that great of concealment so i think like considering and always like when you're moving into like a potentially dangerous environment like looking at buildings looking at walls looking at vehicles and always making the assessment whenever you're in these dangerous situations like if i start to hear shots ring out where am i going mm-hmm. and making that like a constant calculation um and not viewing you know this idea of i've bought you know, the nicest ceramic plates and a very nice plate carrier. And now I'm bulletproof and invincible. You still need to be able to like move to a, a safer place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think uh, hopefully in, yeah. in future episodes, I'd love to get in more about like how to respond to shooters and things like that. Um, yeah. But it, if I, sorry, mm-hmm. if I could add one more thing about yeah. like buying a plate carrier, mm-hmm. um, please do. Uh, uh, yeah, there are a lot of people like buying things right now, uh, mm-hmm. like kind of in like the tactical market and sort of buying a thing and then just hanging it up and maybe going out in the streets with it once a week and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and not actually like training yourself to, to use it. And with body armor, this can be like very scary and very bad. Um, I would like suggest if you choose to invest in this sort of thing, um, going out for first walks and then runs in this equipment and, you know, making sure that if you have to like run very quickly that you're not going to immediately be, uh, like winded and not able to move. Um, and, and that's, you know, it may seem like very obvious to some folks, but, uh, yeah, just buying it, you also need to plan to be able to like move as you would move if you weren't wearing this item. And, you know, this can even look like just wearing around your house, like doing chores mm-hmm. um, or putting on a jacket now that we're finally getting into like cooler temperature for some parts <laughs> of the country. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, putting on a jacket and just going for a walk around the neighborhood and, you know, your new plate carrier and maybe when you get close to your house, just going to a, an all out sprint. Um, mm-hmm. Like these things can be like really helpful. Um, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. It's the same as like 
you know, any any equipment you get, you need to train with. You know, you can't just sit right. around and have an IFAC. You can't just sit around and own a gun. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Well, uh, thank you so much. And I, I hope I have you on again to talk about helmets and all the other stuff at some point. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell people about it. Please talk about it on social media. Please tell your friends in real life. Please subscribe. Please do all of these various things that every podcast you've ever listened to has told you to do. Unfortunately, we tell you those things for a reason. And if you want to support the podcast more directly, you can do so by supporting me on Patreon. My Patreon is patreon.com slash Margaret Killjoy. I put up all kinds of stuff. It's as newsine every month. And in particular, I'd like to thank Chris and Nora and Hoss the dog and Kirk and Willow and Natalie and Sam and Christopher and Shane and the compound. Uh, thank you all so much for making this possible. I will talk to you soon.